0: Hey team, welcome to episode 81 of Transition Talk where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. For those of you considering selling your practice, adding a partner, you may wonder how quickly can you reach the finish line and close the deal? Maybe you're on a tight personal or professional timeline, or maybe you're just curious. Either way, what kind of timelines are we talking about when you get ready to sell your biggest asset? Unfortunately, there's rarely a standard start to finish timeline, but in this episode, we'll help you dive into the various factors that can impact the timing of the sale of your practice, from finding that perfect buyer to closing the deal and all the little things that can slow it down or speed it up in between. But, before we dive in to the meat hello mr loretto <laughs>
1: well hello miss ratcliffe you know um we just got through hanging out on a beach together. We
0: did. Yes. So a little, fun. A little
1: whale watching. We yes. had a big, giant house, and we uh, somehow tried to figure out how to bring Juan the margarita guy back to the United <laughs> States illegally, uh, <laughs> but he was such a great asset so uh, nice. to our trip, and uh, it was good. It was, it
0: was. I got to show the girls the whale video. Yeah. Super fun to do that up close. And then we came home to the complete opposite Uh-oh. weather in the ice storm of Texas, which is now a regular thing here in February. So got to span all the seasons.
1: Yeah. It was good to catch up with you and Chris and the Roxannes and all the spouses yes, all got together. it was together. so fun to hang out. Yeah. Painting a vision for the future, Christy.
0: Strategic planning.
1: Strategic planning. Always Much thinking. easier
0: to do when you're not in an office. Yes. Yes. So.
1: No, we weren't solving problems there. We're just- creating ideas and
0: visions. (laughs) I like that. I like how you're painting the picture.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, And maybe one too many margaritas, sir. But that is another topic. Neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. Yes, yes, yes.
0: Yeah, so this is kind of, I mean, along the similar lines of like the vision, right, of everyone, if you're a seller, and again, I know we always do this little, preface, but if you're a buyer listening to this, this is not something you should just turn off, right? Because this is very helpful for you to understand kind of what a seller is going through, what they're thinking about, kind of where they might be in their journey, and you will know what seller you're dealing with when you start talking to your seller. And for you sellers or potential sellers out there, you know, owners of a practice, all of you will sell your practice one day, right? We're all going to transition, but how are you going to transition and when are you going to transition is probably the big question. And so today's episode, we're going to talk about what will impact you selling your practice and there's a lot of different pieces right and like we always do here we got to start with the why right and are you ready which is kind of probably the biggest question we ask sellers and so two things right financially am I ready and emotionally am I ready and you can be one and not the other it's better if you're both, but you can definitely be one without the other. So you kick us off. Let's talk about financially ready.
1: Yeah. Let's start with a story. And <laughs> because I'm a story guy. <laughs> you know, I love some stories. So one of our advisors brings us into console and says, Hey, I'm ready to sell my practice. So it's emotionally he's ready, but financially, in this example, you know, he was not ready. His financial advisor is literally saying you need X millions of dollars to prepare. And in this particular case, his lifestyle was at a point where he's spending too much money. And so, therefore, his advisor took the play. I know you're upset, but your financial plan doesn't work. You have to prove to me that your financial plan going forward is going to work. Because this amount of money is not going to work for you. We've been watching your spend, your lifestyle for X amount of years. And you haven't proved to me. So you will fail. And so, you know, to make it simple, you know, let's say the guy has three, four million bucks. And the financial plan says, hey, you need six million bucks. And let's say it's $4 million and, hey, we're going to sell the practice and maybe there's a $2 million value. Okay, now we're there. Plus, we're going to get some type of maybe income coming from the real estate that maybe the senior doctor is going to hold on and we're going to negotiate that a part of the process because that's what he or she needs to make this thing successful. So in that case... The financial plan is working. They need six, we got six, and maybe there's some additional revenues now gonna come in. Maybe the doctor's gonna work back as an associate in the practice, we got a little bit of rental income. So that's an example of the financial plan working. A big extreme as well is the financial plan says, I need six million and I don't know, some $3 million orthodontic practice, and it's got some crazy 40% overhead, some crazy EBITDA of a million five, and some ridiculous eight times value, and it's $12 million. Of course, this person now is exceeding their financial plan. If they are emotionally, you know, ready to do this. So it always starts first in your why, like you said. And I just want to make sure that we always have from evaluation standpoints, reasonable and fair, as well as our financial plan. Then we can start working on the emotions. You know, it's a lot easier to work with people and get those emotions, but I can't just magically make financial plans happen.
0: Yeah. I had a call this week with a lovely female orthodontist. She was probably like late 40s. I didn't actually ask her name, but she had two young kids. She hadn't been practicing very long. Her practice had done incredibly well. She was like, I'm kind of maxed out on my starts. I think it did like two point nine, 3 million, I don't know, something crazy in, in 21. And it kind of trailed off in 22. And we've seen practices, a lot of practices do that, right? 21 was a big boom. So I kind of assumed that that was what happened. And she said, well, actually I got asked to focus more on an educational program and kind of residency program. And so I was asked to kind of help start doing that. And so I'm kind of have shifted my time a little bit. It wasn't a function of the practice doing worse or not. patients aren't showing up. She's kind of just spending her time elsewhere. And so we were talking about potentially bringing on an associate or bringing on a partner kind of what that looks like and just talking through options and for her in particular she was kind of emotionally ready to not drive at the level she was driving right. even though financially she was fine she could do it you know and ever you know everyone in kind her, her world is like well you're too young to slow down i don't really care i mean like personally, right? Like you said, if the numbers work, right, and your practice can support it, and you're okay knowing I'm going to take a cut because the non-financial benefits I'm getting from this transition, whether a partner or selling 100% are worth it to me, then you're going to do it, right? And, and that's okay to do it. So there's two huge pieces here. And I think that being emotionally ready before you feel like it's time is sometimes really hard for people to get over because they logically... I mean, you guys talk, you guys think with your mind, right? You're a very logical type A, you know, here's what my life plan will look like. And maybe selling earlier or selling before you thought you were going to be ready doesn't fit into it. And so it's sometimes hard to compute, but it's really worth it. It's a big benefit.
1: What I find so interesting is when you tell a story like that, I've again thousands of stories as well and hear that story. And it's it's so funny because a, a 45-year-old woman somehow is in this magical spot. She figures it out. Men don't figure it out till way later in life. Uh, I've got another practice I'm working with the two buyers and the female seller, kind of early mid-50s. She's raised sell, 100%. And she had an offer from a big, a big offer from a DSO. And it was a big number, but she's like, I don't want the commitment. Like even the financial was a big number. She did not want to be emotionally attached on the commitment to work mm-hmm. back. She's like, I'm going to take a premium, just not that premium, but I'm done. And it quickly, you know, you just don't see that mm-hmm. quite honestly in mid-50 year olds, mid-40 year old men. And I think women just are smarter. They just figure out when they're ready, they just put it together. <laughs> One more story, we'll move on. I was at my local little Mexican restaurant and talking to the guy next to me and just chatting it up. And he runs a landscape business and about 300 employees. And I asked him, I said, well, I presume... I'm the business of dentistry. I presume that you probably got hitting up by private equity groups. Said, yeah, and I said, well, what's the plan? I looked at the wife. I go, let me ask you. I said, what's his plan? And she said, well, I think he's he's getting closer. He's he's been one of these driver guys forever. But she says, and she looked at him kind of smiling with a loving face. She says, he just took his first nap. I was like, oh, I got to hear about the nap. And so the guy took his nap like during the week. And he's like, I just never taken a nap. I kind of loved it. And I feel like for the first time, I'm like, maybe I want to not work as hard. And I'm like, it's coming, bro. It mm-hmm. is coming. Like, I can see the transition happening. And so we got talking about Mexico, exchange phone numbers. i like, we're going to hang out in Mexico together. You
0: know? <laughs> it's so funny, but it's so true. I mean, like, there is like a point where, and I say this all the time about particularly our sellers and our practice listing and our seller consulting service. It's like, I don't want to. I don't want to I I like wanted to yesterday right like there's there is something that kind of switches and so our goal is to talk about how to be more prepared definitely so that you can be in control of that process and know when it's coming so first thing that we talk about well I guess one more point before we move on I want to caveat that like selling your practice in whole or in part is an exhausting process, right? It is emotionally exhausting. There's a lot of work and diligence that you have to put on from your side as a seller. And so being committed to the process when you start the process is incredibly important because if you're not committed to the process, you risk a couple things. You risk burnout, (laughs) transition burnout, which happens when you kind of are in this process of gathering information and, and interviewing buyers and kind of just that nervousness and anxiety that naturally comes when you're about to do this big thing. Thing with this thing you've built. So there's that burnout that could potentially happen. The other thing is we potentially, depending on where you are, You lose out on potential candidates that would be ideal buyers for you, right? If you're not committed to the process, so it takes you a long time to get information, you're not responding to emails as quickly because you're maybe not as motivated. You find someone, but then you kind of get a little shy, so you kind of pull back a little bit. Happened too fast. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for this, and so now you're not. You know, you're waiting weeks, or I got to go on this vacation, and I'll talk to him when I get back. Like the buyers are seeing that as you're not committed, or that you don't like them, which is probably not true, right? Like you would just, we're not ready to enter this process. So like really being committed and understanding what you're getting into, which again, oftentimes comes when you're financially and emotionally ready and you've thought about this and like put in the work is really, really important. And we will talk to people. I know I've heard you say this, Charles, like you're not ready. Like you're calling me to talk about transition because in your head 62 was your number, but like you're not there yet and you're not going to be there and you're not going to be willing to like do what it takes to make this process happen. So being ready is important
1: yeah and it was sad I I spoke to a conference this past weekend and really genuine older gentleman and he's still in the practice you know four days a week and he just lost his wife and you know he got all teary eyed I may have got a little teary eyed myself (laughs) teary eyed thinking about it he's not ready it's okay to hang on that practice. That's the only thing he knows right now. It's the only thing kind of keeping him together. And so that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't make a difference your age or what your financial situation is. And and he needed that to kind of hang on. So I just want to hang on. Yeah. What do you think? I just hang on, just keep doing it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've worked with 78, 79, 80, I think I, maybe it was 80, went the sold. I've also worked with the 42-year-old, right, you know, right, and it was right, the right. right time for all of those people and all the in-between ages. So like what's in your head is not always what ends up happening.
1: I'll say what you just said because it's important. Sometimes I repeat it over and over Just be ready. I mean, be ready and committed to this. Because I'm thinking about people, too, that they said they were ready, they were not. We dragged some buyers through this process, and then we lost those amazing buyers. Now, all of a sudden, they're coming back saying ready. And you know what? We didn't find the perfect buyer for a while. So now they're getting frustrated. It's taking much longer. So it's just better just to go. You you never know when you're going to find that perfect candidate. You never know. You just never know. So let's go to market when we are absolutely, Charles, 100%, Christy, 100% ready. Find me a person. Here's my time frame and can't wait to get the process started. That is, we know you're ready.
0: Yep, 100%. And so when you're ready, one of the most important things is, at least kind of that's what we hear and what we know is, I need to find the right person. I want to make sure... My staff's taken care of, my patients are taken care of. Like, here's my ideal person that would, you know, and we ask those questions. It's important for us to know because it, it tells us a lot about your practice. And like, you know, not only are we asking, you know, what production level and what kind of what skills do they need clinically, but like what personality would work best, right? Like that is going to be the easiest transition if you can find someone similar to plug and play into your people and your patients, but that's not always possible. No. Right. And that doesn't always matter as much as making sure that they really love your practice and you. Right. And so you had a couple of notes on here that you wanted to talk about.
1: No, I mean, 20 plus years in this game, they're like, Charles, I'm looking for maybe a military person. Someone's been in military for 10 or 15 years just coming out that, you know, that'd be perfect for me. A GPREG residents that maybe did the same Kois training or Spears training or Panky training I did with four years of experience. I'm like, yeah, I agreed. That would be amazing. It's just those candidates are not necessarily just available. So, I mean, in the end, I hate to like make it this simple, but this is a buyer buying your business. It's going to come down to, do they like you? Do they like the opportunity, meaning the practice and the overhead, the practice value, the location? etc. Can they do the work? And can they get a loan? I mean, it's pretty simple. It's going to be four basic things in this process. And then ultimately, it has to be you deciding how many people like that are showing up at your practice that you meet that uh, all these people and those people have kind of checked their criteria off of, you know, this is what they're looking for. And then you take the best out of that one. That best could be one. I mean, it could be, we've got six and you get to choose. Amazing. That's even you know, it's a better situation. But sometimes we're just talking about finding just one buyer for your practice.
0: Yeah. If there's a partnership, it's a completely different conversation. You're going to be working with them. If you're selling 100% of your practice, you're going to work short term back. You don't have to be best friends. You have to trust them. You clearly have to think they can clinically, you know, you have to have, and each of you might have a different piece of that that you believe, you know, very strongly in. But they do not have to check every single box that you might have personally and professionally in order to, they're not going to be you, right? So you're not trying to find a you. You're trying to find another competent professional who you know will take care and cares about your business and that will do it and they will make mistakes. So they are going to be younger and they're going to be more naive and they're not going to be as well-versed in business because they haven't been doing this for 30 years, more than likely, right? But they will do that. And maybe they're you 30 years ago, who knows, right? But that's a big hurdle sometimes that we have to clear of being open to this is the ideal person. Okay, well, let's go in, you know, it's like dating. It's like, I mean, I haven't had to online date, but I imagine this is what it's like, right? Like I have my whole checkbox. If I actually like put my husband against the checkbox, he probably doesn't check all the boxes, you know?
1: We're just looking for someone to smile back or whatever they're doing
0: like I got up at 530 he could sleep till 10 I probably wouldn't date someone if I knew they slept till 10 all the time turns out he tricks me But it's fine, you know, but that is important because that is it, this is an emotional process that you enter into, and it's it's an emotional thing, and that's what you know we do at NDP is try to remove some of that and say okay, but could they be a good buyer, and are they a good quality buyer for right. your business?
1: And be open. I mean, we're talking 100% buyer, and as you mentioned, yeah. this is going to be a associate for a year or two. Then they then they buy you out and they work back. You're literally going to be working side by side with him or her for several years. I get it. Yeah, we we need to be a lot more. That's a work marriage. Yeah, we got to be a little be bit much more, picky more, picky more picky about picky. them. Yep.
0: yep. Okay. Anything else on like the person? Before we move on to kind of timing, no,
1: I mean again, a lot more picky on the partnership. I'm going to work with you along, but as far as on the hundred percent sell, I'm a lot less picky. I mean, it's your life's work. I want you to feel good about it. I just want to rush anything. But sometimes you paint that picture of this person and they just never show up, and, and so I just don't want us to paint that rosy picture just yet. Mm-hmm. Let's just yeah. let's go back to what they the really <laughs>
0: qualified, lovely wildflowers that That's are out right. there. You know? <laughs> okay, so time of the year that you list, we get this question a lot, like okay, like, am I missing a window or when should I engage you? And I will say there's probably some more popular times of the year and more slower times for transactions. So, like, we do tend to see more transactions close, like, in the early summer months because if you're moving across country or moving your family or graduating from a program, then, you know, kind of that early summer close is typically when we see that because of that we tend to see practices kind of go on the market or kind of have an influx of practices that we help and sellers that contact us in that like early spring so like january to march time frame we typically see less candidate activity meaning like less people looking for practices in that like fourth quarter of the year holidays, just travel, things are slowing down. Like for whatever reason, like that is just kind of a slower time from a marketing standpoint, even though we'll see a lot of transactions close at that year-end mark, kind of start the year fresh. I like to say, I need you to work backwards. So if I own a practice and I want to be done June of 24, right, okay, well then depending on where your practice is, depending on how big your practice is, depending on how long you want to work back post-close, I might say, hey, January of 23, you need to start talking with us because if it's going to take us four to six weeks to gather all the information, put together a package, then we start marketing. How long does it take to find that person? Then, you know, the 90 to 120 days to actually close once we find the right person, you know, you could be looking at, you know, a year long process, even if you find someone relatively quickly.
1: Yeah. It, just like what you said, just depends on the practice. If it's a, call it less than a million dollar GP practice in a major metro city, then I feel very good with uh, reach out to us and list the process, list the practice and create the processes going forward. It's a 90 to 180 day close. Great. But, you know, depending on your practice, it could have some complexities to it. It could be a big real estate project that you've got tied to. It could be a much bigger 1.567 collection practice, it could be high aesthetics, it could be all in four cases you're doing. There could be procedures in that practice that are going to make this transition a little more complicated. In your mind, you're thinking it's going to be 100% sale, but this is going to require a work back period because in this case, for the most part, you're not going to find buyers that can do that level of work, or maybe it's a certain size of the practice. So there's kind of these perfect practices, and I'm actually going to give some of those here as we start to wrap up. But on those bigger, more complicated practices, you know, I might want two years mm-hmm. to play with. I might, mm-hmm. you know, if we're June 24 and I've only got six months to kind of figure this out, it's not a time. You know, yep. if it's a complicated process, I, I may want two years. So I'd much rather us have early conversations about your practice, what your vision, what your goals are, set expectations from that information, and then we follow back up and figure out when the timing is to help you. So you're not coming at that emergency situation. So I got to sell, got to sell, because again, larger practices are going to be much more complicated and take more time. Rural areas, same as and certain specialties are just going to be much harder to find. Yeah,
0: and 100%. I mean, we were kind of going to talk about location next, and so it's kind of bleeds into it. Same concept, right? If you are in a million dollar GP practice in Dallas and you don't want to stop working until next year or you know, beginning of 25, I don't really need to talk to you right. yet because if I start again, going back to are you ready? you're not ready. I'm going to interview a bunch of candidates. You're going to get tired of the process. Then maybe they don't need you right away. You know, they don't need you to work back. So size of your practice and where you are really, really important factors for the time of when to sell and when to list and when to start this process. I'd much rather have more time than not enough. So if you just kind of say, Hey, I want to know what my practice is worth so I can start planning for that. And what are your thoughts? Like we're always willing to kind of engage you show you what your practice is worth, kind of learn about your practice and then say, hey, come back to us in six to nine months and then we'll actively start marketing or actively start searching for that person. So planning ahead, educating yourself is really big in kind of what that looks like.
1: Yeah, I mean, someone tells me that a year out and we maybe did some preliminary work for them and to give them expectations about it, Maybe even start like a soft marketing where we're reached out to our candidate pool and telling people, hey, this is a, a practice that's going to go online for sale in 12 months. Early conversations with buyers. I'm finishing a residency program that starts soft introductions, not a lot of pressure, but just to let the seller know, hey, we've got some candidates kind of building up. And it just kind of eases the pressure from everybody.
0: Yep, 100%. So, I mean... And we've kind of covered location, but your comment there, the timing of when a right buyer comes along, I think is probably outside of what is my practice worth is probably the number one question we get when we talk to sellers who are looking to kind of sell a hundred percent of their practice or even honestly, even finding a partner. The question is always like, okay, well, and they always caveat, like, I know you probably can't tell me this, but how long do you really think it'll take to find someone? Right. And my favorite answer is if I knew the answer to that question, I probably would not be here still because I would be like a millionaire because it is, it's a crystal ball. I mean, there is an element of luck and I think anyone who tells you differently is probably lying to you, but there's an element of luck of finding the right person who's looking to go to your area and your specialty and your, you know, like outside of the major metropolitan areas where there's a ton of people always looking, but even then like to find the person who likes your practice, who wants your practice and your location and your specialty and your size, there is an element of luck that goes into that. Especially if once we start to talk more remote locations or super small or super big, like we are narrowing the pot of people who exist that of interest.
1: Yeah, and I think there's certain components to just be in this business long enough to look at certain types of practices Too big, too small. Right in the middle, perfect. Great overheads, uh, great finish out type of practice, and be able to say this is going to be much easier. But I agree. If we're looking at surgeon in rural America, it's just total luck. We, we, it could be never that we find anybody, or it could just be super lucky that we just stumble on someone.
0: I will use this example until the day I die. So we had two clients at the same time. The first one was in like rural West Virginia, and the other one was Houston Ortho. And we told the Houston Ortho, are you sure you're ready? Because you're going to get a ton of interest. This is going to happen quickly. Are you sure you're good? Other side of the coin, we're telling West Virginia, hey, it could take a long time. Like, be prepared. They were like, yep, that's fine. If someone came tomorrow, I'm ready. But if it took a year and a half, like, I'm not in a hurry. Like, I know it's going to take a while. We posted both of them without like four or five months of each other. Houston North, though, we did get a ton of interest, but for various reasons, the people we found, not related to the practice or the transition, they liked each other, but like the buyers had personal reasons that they had to back out, like and bad stuff that had happened. It just kind of happened to be luck that the three that we found, the fourth one ended up being the lucky one. On the flip side, the West Virginia practice, within like three weeks of posting it, we got a hit of someone whose family was there, he had just graduated or gotten out of, I I can't remember his, his, but he literally had just started looking when we posted the practice and had family that was within an hour of that practice and was like, I can't believe that this is happening and this is an incredible practice and it's exactly where I want to be. You know, and so we had literally prepped the opposite, right? Because that's what happens 99% of the time. And in this case, it was the right time and the right person and the right transaction. And it worked out that way. So that's why I kind of say like, even with all the experience, sometimes there are just practices that for whatever reason take longer than we expect them to. And there are ones that happen more quickly. We're doing, you know, we're still doing all the things we need to do to find that person. But, you know, is the right person looking at the right time? Okay, so that's important to understand. So know that that's the answer you're going to get from me if you ask me that question on a call. But there are a lot clearly other kind of factors, and we've kind of touched on all of them over the course of the last, you know, little bit here. But let's talk about specialty. That impacts kind of how long or how short or long it might take to kind of find a buyer in a transition. What are some of the ones that we both know
1: about? Certainly still a very saturated market as far as buyer's for the orthodontic space. So certainly that is a seller's market. So say if you're an orthodontist, it's going to be a much easier sell than all of your colleagues. I'd probably say number two from there would be my general dentist in major metro cities. Then you start getting pretty complicated. uh, The number of buyers as far as there's a lack of buyers as far as just the number of graduating endodontists or endodontists that are even associates to obviously prosthodontists or just there's just not a lot of those people that are looking so partnerships also different different types i mean it could be a three four five doctor practice and that can sound appealing if you're in that situation you have a proven model but also it creates some complexity and a lot of questions for the buyers. Sometimes the sellers don't have answers to. So there's lots of factors. Uh, the practice could be too small, it could be too big. You could be, the practice could have 10,000 square foot real estate project attached to it. Like, well, I only need 3,000 square feet to operate. And now your overhead is so high because you you built this monstrosity of a real estate project. I get that you have one tenant, but you don't have four tenants. And so now you're asking me to buy this great practice, but it's not as great now because of the real estate. So there's, there's so many different factors From too big, too small, to real estate component, to various specialties, to various overheads, to... There could be the doctor just doing all of this crazy amount of work. The super doctor who does implants and liners and refers nothing out. That is a very difficult practice to transition, very difficult to value and a very difficult practice to transition. And you would think a little bit the opposite because a senior guy or gal, they're looking at themselves like, I have built this amazing practice. I'm like this well-known name. I got this well-known brand. I do all these things. Just my value, my mentorship alone is worth millions. (laughs) It's just... (laughs) And these are people that are speaking on stages and I get it. But to me, if I'm the buyer, that's the largest risk because I can't do what they do. I don't have their brand. So there's so many different types of specialties and factors that will come into this. I'll tell you the one that actually has the best value. It's the one that is the easiest to replace. It's the general dentist who is literally just doing some simple crown and bridge with a huge hygiene department. It's the easiest one. I know that from my buyers buying those practices. I know that from DSOs looking at those practices and saying, this is an amazing opportunity because it's easy to replace that doctor. Like the
0: practice that has like the great hygiene and just like the good processes and like is not as reliant on the doctor. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, those are very attractive for when I'm working with buyers, you're working with buyers, I see those, and I just get super excited because I know the young doctor is going to go in. They're going to be able to diagnose a ton of dentistry there that the senior doctors kind of checked out a little bit, market, grow, and really have a great hygiene pool to really grow that practice. That's super exciting. I just got young D4 that sent something in last night to me, and he's literally, in my communication today, Is it's a smaller practice. It's a 400, 500 GP practice. Overhead's okay, but he's excited about... Just the opportunity and growth. He goes, he loves the hygiene, it's like seven hygiene days out of a 500 GP practice. And he loves the location, loves the patient base, and knows where he can kind of market and grow it. And he's pumped. You know, he's a longtime listener and spoken to him many times, but he's in dental school school and he is chomping at the bit to buy right when he gets out it is so, it's so exciting that's super
0: exciting yeah okay so we've talked kind of high level tell me you kind of had a good idea and kind of a good way to kind of wrap us up here some i don't want to say probabilities but just kind of like if we're to go through the specialties and say hey this is kind of how easy it would be to transition a practice right like based on specialty and kind of profitability and kind of overall yep With caveat, I mean, is this dangerous that we're doing this? (laughs) Yes, yes.
1: So if you are a seller and you're in one of these situations, I will tell you the probability of selling your practice and getting a high value for it is greater, okay? So i mentioned it three or four times and 80 plus episodes into this thing. Ortho by far is still my number one contender. So Ortho major city, high demand right now for for any of your buyers. GP practice between, I would say anywhere between 800 to about a million two of collections, about a 55% overhead. You're gonna do a 100% transition. I think you're in a really good spot and it should be easier for you to find a buyer compared to your colleagues. My pedo, uh, anywhere between a million to about a million six, fifty 50% overhead, major city there, and also not more than, you know, call it 30% on the Medicaid component. My perio practices, anywhere between kind of a million one, a million six, seven, 55% overhead, again, major city, 100% transition, endo, 900, kind of million four, five, traditionally just a one doctor endodontic practice, ideally 45% overhead or lower. And then my surgery practices, somewhere between kind of million five to low two millions with a nice overhead as well. What we're looking for here is just a sweet spot of where that one doctor practice is. 100% transition, great overheads, great cash flow, reasonable values in a major city. This is allowing all of our prospective buyers around the U.S. and candidates that are coming from outside the U.S. to buy these practices and to not really have any major issues. And so certainly I can go down the road of, you know, I see practices that I'm challenged with, but I just wanted to focus today on the positive. If you have one of these practices in this type of major metro area or just outside a major metro area in a decent town, you know, maybe it's not X millions of people like here in the Dallas Metroplex, to Austin, the Houston, the San Antonio, or whatever, Columbus, Ohio. But it could just be 45, an hour, hour and a half outside of one of those major cities that has the ability to have a commute in. And again, we're focusing both on husband and wife, that they have kind of access to nicer things in the major metro cities that we we're always looking for. Not we as in me and Christy here, but I say we as mainly as our as our buyers both husbands and, and wives so anyway yeah that's that's kind of big picture here what we want to set our, our sellers up for today because we get a lot of questions from that about the sellers and trying to have more episodes that are related to them so they can be better prepared and, and we can help that pool as well
0: absolutely and so you know in kind of summary like even if perfect location perfect financials right it can still be a waiting game before we reach the finish line and, and close a deal and find the right person knowing that good things can take time so so if you're looking for more information clearly stay tuned we'll have some additional episodes here to kind of focus on you the seller um, we also have a blog six tips for finding a buyer that you can find on our website uh, it's filled with great insight for owners who are seeking the perfect candidate for their practice but just continue to do what you're doing you know stay educated stay on top of it understand your practice understand you what do you want financially and emotionally and when are you ready and we are here to help you when the time is right
1: and just a special shout out to Joelle and our producer here. She preps these things every week, month, and just what an amazing asset she is to our team. Absolutely allows us just to come in here and smile and just <laughs> lay down a track. When you say lay down a track. Is that a little uh, dating a little I, bit? I don't know. I think we
0: should leave it in. and She see says how that works. no. I
1: cannot say, I cannot lay, down say the track. lay down a
0: track. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, well, all right. That's all we've got for today. Thanks for joining us for episode. 81 of Transition Talk. And as always, make sure to share the transition love with those who may not know of us yet and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time, friends. Thanks, guys. Bye.